0: So tonight's reading is from Exodus chapter 16, and that's um, page 75, 74, and then you turn over, 73, and then you turn over quickly to 74 in the Pew Bibles. Exodus 16. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month, after they had come out from Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire community to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert. And there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the Sabbath day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. This is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day.
1: Thanks, Fiona. Good evening, everyone. My name is Ed. I'm the worship pastor here at uh, HT. have been working here at Holy Trinity for nine years now, um, and I've loved every minute. And it's such a joy to be preaching on my favorite book of the Bible. Is there anyone else in here that Exodus is their favorite book? Yes, come on. I'm not the only weirdo. That's good to know. Um, this is a book that is so about worship. And if you've been reading through the first few chapters, uh, the extracts we've had preached on, but the other ones, God says again and again and again, Um, he's calling these people out of Egypt to worship him. Let my people go that they may worship me. And as we look at this book, he's going to teach us how to worship. Um, Let me just pray as as we get started. From Psalm 16, Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. So, Lord, we pray that you would open up the way for us to let go of our fear and our worry and to see and believe that you provide and to learn how to walk in trust tonight, Lord. All of us want to walk in trust, whether we have a little or a lot, whether we've come in here in crisis or everything seems to be going pretty well. We all have a shared aim of wanting to grow and trust in you. So teach us, Lord, teach us your yoke that is easy and your burden that is light. And take off anything upon us that that shouldn't be on us tonight. Amen. Amen. I just want to start with um, a little bit of a recap as to what we've got so far. Um, In Exodus chapter 16, we're faced with a people that is redeemed, but not free. A people that is redeemed, but not free. A people that is institutionalized. I wonder when I say that word, institutionalized, if you jump to the same place I do. My favorite film is The Shawshank Redemption. Not a very original choice. Anybody else? One or two? Great. If you, if you kind of catch me on a different day, I'll try and impress you by saying it's some sort of French art house film. But honestly, I come back to this film again and again. I love it. Um, the most poignant part of this film, short Redemption, I won't spoil all of it for you, but is, is the story of Brooks. Um, the old man, maybe 80-something, who, who works in the library. He's been in prison for 50 years. Um, and one day he gets the news that he's going to be released. This man, who has been in prison 50 years, he works in the library, he keeps this little bird in his pocket and feeds it bits of bread. It's so sad. Um, and he's going to be released. So out he goes to prison, and, and this little montage in the middle of the film just like gut punches you. Um, there he is, packing bags in the, in the local store, but he can't do it because he's too used to what he had to do in prison. He's trying to form relationships, but he can't, can't make it on the outside. Been in prison too long. Um, and um, the story doesn't end, end well for Brooks. This is what Red, one of the characters, says to Andy Dufresne, hero of the film. These prison walls are funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them, and enough time passes, so you depend on them. That's institutionalized. When you get used to your prison, and you don't like freedom. This is an institutionalized people. Um, if we could just have the next slide... Um, God says clearly, in fact, um, Jana quoted it in a sermon recently. This is his aim for this people. His aim is not to bring them from one geographical area to another. That's an aim. It's not the aim. His aim is not just to release them from slavery because he hates slavery, which he does. That's an aim. It's not the aim. This is his aim for them and for us. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. What he's wanting to do is teach a people who do not know his name. You remember Ollie preaching Exodus 3, burning bush? Who who should I say has sent me? I don't even know who you are, God. And God gives Moses his name. Hey, I'm God. Nice to meet you. He's introducing himself to people who don't know him. He's bringing a people to himself, not just to a, a new geographical area. And everything he's done so far, going to Pharaoh, the plagues, the Red Sea last week, the provision is telling them something about him. It's introducing an aspect of his character to them. That's why you see this phrase again and again and again, if you've read this book. Then they will know, or then you will know, I am the Lord in capitals. When you see that, that word, Lord in capitals, it's not Lord like my Lord. It's that name that God revealed to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. It's, it's like me saying, hi, I'm Ed. I am the Lord. Interestingly, no time for now, but he says that when he presides judgment over Egypt... I'm going to close the Red Sea upon them, then they will know that I am the Lord. And he says that when he shows mercy to his people, because judgment and holiness is part of who he is, and compassion is part of who he is. And he wants to introduce himself to them in all of his fullness, but they don't get it. Six weeks in the desert they've been by this point. I mean, that's a long time to spend in a desert. They're going to be there 40 years till they're ready for the promised land. Because they want to go back to Egypt. I mean, I like pots of meat as much as the next person. But here in our reading, God has offered to provide for them, to show him, to bring him to himself. And he says, I'm going to look after you on the way. No, we want to go back. God's people sometimes prefer a comfortable slavery to the uncomfortable presence of God. God's people are sometimes institutionalized in their sin. Redeemed But not free. Does that remind you of anybody? We've met Jesus on the cross. He purchased us by his blood. We are redeemed. But are we living in the full freedom that God has for us? Aren't we so often just like Brooks? We're so used to the sin that we're born into, the nature that we have, that the things we're enslaved to in Egypt, that we say yes to the Lord, we start the road of following him, but this stuff just hangs around on us, doesn't it? And sometimes we find it hard to live in the freedom that God offers to us. We're redeemed, but not free. And this, friends, this is the power of this book of Exodus. It shows us that we have been redeemed by Christ, but now how do we allow God to bring us to himself? How do we live in his presence? How do we know him in closeness? Uh, He's going to teach us and the Israelites, uh, a lesson today, using their food. good way to teach somebody a lesson, food. Food is the way to teach, teach me stuff quickly. Um, this book is like a mirror, right? When we see the Israelites, we, we see us. And every time we think, oh, they, they're pretty dumb in this passage, that should be a red pen for us to say, what is there of what they're doing here that is in my life? <laughs> because when I read it and dig into this book, there's a lot. Um, two things he's going to reveal. He's going to reveal something of himself. He's going to reveal something... Of them. He's going to reveal something of himself and something of them. What does he reveal of himself? He reveals that he will provide what we need when we follow him. He'll provide what we need when we follow him. He's called these people, his people, on a journey. He's got them out of slavery. He's given them a calling. He's going to take them to the promised land and he is going to get them there and provide for them on the way. And this, this is a promise that the Lord has given to us, too, in the new covenant um, under Christ. We just have the, the slide from Matthew 6. Thank you. This is, this is uh, Jesus' words, Sermon on the Mount. Do not worry about what you eat, about what you drink, about what you wear, because your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things, what you need to eat, drink, wear, will be given to you as well. You know, God's not saying those things that you need when you think, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? don't matter. They do matter. God knows that. He's not looking to deprive us. He's not looking to deprive his people. He's given them a calling. You know, our calling's not the same as, as theirs to go from Egypt to Israel through the desert. But our calling is a path of life where God is bringing us to himself, teaching us to live in his presence. And he's going to give you what you need to get you there. But no, this is a conditional promise for Israel, for us. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This promise to have all that we need is for the obedient and the wholehearted. It's for the obedient and the wholehearted. What the Lord is saying here is, don't center your lives around money, success, possessions, Center your lives around walking in closeness to me, around me bringing you to myself, and you will be given enough money, success, and possessions to do what I have put before you. So the Lord is introducing aspects of himself to them, aspects of his name, because they don't know him. Here are a few things that um, in this passage that he's introducing himself, aspects of himself to them. He's showing that he's pretty powerful. 40 years feeding over a million people out of nothing every day in an arid wasteland. That's a huge amount of creative power. This is what he's showing them, what he's showing us. This is his power to provide in the middle of a wasteland. You're not in the middle of a fertile land. 40 years, over a million people. He's showing that his provision is individual. Right? It's not just for us, Holy Trinity, the people of God. It's for you. You notice how in the passage it says that there was the exact right amount for every single person for what they needed. The size of their family, boy, girl, man, woman. No one's left out of this. And it's the same for us too. Our provision looks different, but he cares about what you need. You can ask him for what you need. I don't always find it easy to feel like God is like this. I don't always find it easy to feel like God is providing for me in a powerful and an individual way. Um, I guess in life, we're always on a scale, at least it feels like this to me, um, between the desert to the promised land. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm in a desert where I just got enough to get by, I'm living hand to mouth, um, and I'm wondering why I don't have more than what I have. A bit of quail here and there, mostly manna that I'm sick of eating, not sure how I'm going to go on next week. Just about getting through today. Promised land. Not a perfect land, a promised land. Read on in the Bible for more on that. Um, but enough. Enough to get by, you know, a good paycheck at the end of the month. A good job. A life that is going somewhere. Not perfect, but promised land. Now both of those places, folks. When you feel like you're in the desert, you feel like you're in the promised land. Both of those can bring us to God, Remember? I'm going to bring you to myself. And both of them have dangers that can take us away from that end game that God has. I want to bring you to myself. Both of them can bring us to him if we orient our hearts rightly, and both of them can take us away. They have dangers. They can make us redeemed, not free, if we allow them. Here are the dangers, as far as I see them, from from this passage. Um, If you're in the desert, you feel like you never have enough. Maybe this is you tonight. Or you look around and you see that others have more than you. You're trying to keep your head above water. If, if you're in that place, financially, provision, whatever, it affects everything. Your relationship, your walk with God, the whole lot when you're trying to keep your head above water. Or if you just have that one thing you really, really want. God's given you food, clothing, but not that one thing. That's a hard place. That's a hard place. We can't trivialize that place. Um, The hard thing about this is is that God has promised in these passages that he'll supply our needs and not always our wants as we see them. Sometimes we go through a season where it's like, all we've got is food and clothing, you know? It's like Jesus like, don't worry, guys. I'm going to give you eat and drink where? I'm like, what about all the other stuff? And sometimes we go through a season like that. Um, And some wants are a lot more painful than than others. And I just want to say, God takes no pleasure when we're in that place. You know, the desert is not meant to be our permanent habitation. Uh, You know, I'm sure Simeon Stylites, the desert mystic, knew a lot about God that I didn't. But 37 years sitting on top of a pole in the desert, I just think he got something wrong there. (laughs) <laughs> and if we are going through the desert right now, um, if you're in that season, like ask him for what you want. Ask him. Pray with others about it. Pray at the end of the service about it. He cares. He's your father. But if you are there in the desert, I want to say this. The chief pas- danger that I see in this passage and in life is bitterness, and I've been here. If you're walking through the desert, your chief danger is bitterness. It's judgment on others who have more than we do a family that you want, a career that you want, the house you want, the academic results you want, and we can criticize them and appear very, very spiritual. Oh, I see they've uh, built that extension they were thinking about. Church could have done with that money. Oh, we can appear very, very, very spiritual about this. Um, But verse 7 in this passage brings us back down to earth. Here's what Moses says. Who are we that you're grumbling against us? You're not grumbling against us, but the Lord. You're not grumbling against us, but the Lord. So often when I lash out at people or judge people, I'm really angry at God because my life doesn't look how I want it to look. You know, think about the people that you're most angry at in your life. It may be you're angry at them because they're really annoying or inconsiderate, but it may be that that bitterness, that root of bitterness in your heart is because really you're angry at God because right now you're walking through the desert and it's not fun. And it's easy to be angry with him. The chief danger is is bitterness from allowing a desert to bring us to God. Promised land. If you're in the promised land, not that life's perfect. It's just not hand to mouth. I want to say that is great. I'm really glad that you're in that place. Um, And that's that's wonderful. It's clear that your chief danger if you're in that place is self-sufficiency. Desert, bitterness. Promised land, self-sufficiency. It's I don't need God because I have all my stuff. Um... I don't need to go into this. You know this is true. It's natural for that to happen, right? Like it's unnatural when you're in a place of plenty to feel a need for a dependence on God. It's very hard to be rich and enter the kingdom of heaven. Hence why God is teaching them this stuff in the desert. Um, Bitterness, when life doesn't look how we want it. Self-sufficiency, we don't need God. Same lesson. Our stuff or our lack of stuff can either bring us to God's self, to himself, or take us away from him. I um, just want to finish this, this point with this scripture from Philippians. This is, this is the point. Not about where you are on that scale, desert, promised land. It's, it's, is this you? I consider everything a loss. Here he is writing this in a prison. Compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider everything I have a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, of him bringing me to himself for whose sake I've lost all things. You know, whether you're in plenty or hand to mouth right now, um, are you thinking like Paul? Are you growing and thinking like Paul? It's not about what you have, it's about what you're learning in that place. Okay, next point. What's he revealing about us? I love this. Um, This is what the Lord really put his finger on as I was preparing this. What's he revealing in in Israelites and in us? Um, In this particular way he provides, right? He gives manna. Every day, once a day, you can't keep it to the morning or it rots. You can't gather it on the Sabbath. You have to gather enough for two days. And God, did you notice in this passage, God calls it a test for them. What's he testing? What's he teaching? Is it obedience? Yep. He's teaching them to obey his commands, to run in the path of, of his commands. But it's more, he's, he's breaking something in them here. He's got his finger on something in the human condition here. And this is the, the way that he provides enough but daily, enough but daily, not yearly, not I'm going to give you a dump of food for three weeks, do you have to ask me for any more till then? Every day, why? Why is he providing in this way? Well, just just put your, put your head into the Israelites' head for a moment. Um, they've got to walk around the desert just with what they can carry on their backs. It's hard work moving from place to place as the presence of, of the Lord moves. Um, God is kind of trying to take a load off them here, right? Like, you don't need to carry your food stuff around. You don't need to worry it's going to go off in the hot desert sun. I'm going to give you enough for one day. He's taking a load off them, feeding them every day. Do they like that? Nope. A Psalm 81, parallel Psalm to this passage says, I remove the burden from your back. I said, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt, open wide your mouth and I will fill it. But they would have none of it. They were institutionalized to provide him for themselves. It's okay, Lord. I'll just gather more manna. Then I'll be able to feed myself. If I can load up enough on this back of mine that you're trying to take the burden off, I don't need you anymore. I don't need to speak to you. I don't need to rely upon you. You know, what this reveals in us, this way that the Lord is feeding them, this test he's given them, is that we so often try to eliminate our need for God. We so often try to eliminate our need for God. He gives enough but daily. Does that remind you of anything? Give us today our daily bread, not our yearly bread, our weekly bread. Every day, Lord, I need enough just for today. Or Matthew 6, that passage um, I already quoted from. we could have the next slide. Get Thank you. Next one. Uh, no. Oh, okay, we've missed it. Not to worry. Can you go back to the Matthew 6? Thank you. Um, in Matthew 6, it says, don't worry about tomorrow, for today has enough trouble of its own. A- at the end of, of this passage, don't worry about tomorrow, for today has enough trouble of its own. Like God, we're not in the desert, we're not being fed daily by manna, but God is saying, even though your provision system is different, you need to make your thought process the same. Every day, Enough not thinking too far ahead. Now, I have props. Bear with me. No expense spared. Mark's is only the best. Um, I did some research. This is enough water that I need for this sermon. Good excuse to drink. This, apparently, according to Google, enough water that I need for a day. One day of water. This is the amount of water that I need for a week. Are you ready? Now, can you just imagine me carrying this to Mars Spencer's checkout? It's hard with a microphone. I didn't think it was through. The... <laughs>
0: uh-
1: Thank you very much. 14 litres of water, ladies and gentlemen. The Lord's trying to take a load off them. And they're saying, no thanks, Lord. I'll load up. I'll take more water so that I don't have to speak to you tomorrow. Oh, my poor arms. I can control everything. I can gather enough so that I don't have a need for God. Making themselves a prison. You know, how long can I hold on for this while I make points? So much anxiety comes from fighting the battles of tomorrow today. So much anxiety comes from fighting the battles of tomorrow today. You know, you get through today by the skin of your teeth. And what do you think? as you lie on your bed? How am I going to do that tomorrow? How am I going to do that next year? if My health gets worse. My savings run out. Today's mercies are not supposed to be sufficient for the battles of tomorrow. You don't have enough faith, strength, energy, ideas, money, food. This is is going to go everywhere in a minute. To get through tomorrow because you don't load up and carry this around. Imagine carrying this to your workplace. Imagine me trying to lead worship with this. Imagine me putting this in my bed, taking it with me to the pub on date night. I can't carry this with me because there's a tap. There's a tap in the desert, and it's the presence of God. I'm going to put this down now. There's a tap. We don't have to load up. That's what he's teaching them. And he hasn't called you to go from Egypt to the promised land. He's called you to be here in Cambridge, to serve in your workplace, He's called you to come and, and be an undergraduate here. And you're thinking, I've just about got through six weeks of being in this city. How am I going to get through four years of my course? Mercies of today are not enough for the battles of tomorrow. And there's a tap for you. You know what the heart of this is? Why I do this? I learn a lot from my daughter, who's two, Imogen. Imogen. And uh, she is going through a phase at the moment where everything is, I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to do it. Can I please just put your clothes on so we can get to church on time? I want to do it. Can I feed you your food so it doesn't go everywhere when you play yogurt tennis? I want to do it. The problem is there are some things she sucks at. (laughs) Like eating yogurt. There are some things that I'm meant to help her with like boiling a kettle. She can't do that. She can't carry that load. There are some things that you cannot control. There are some things that you cannot carry. Tomorrow, the next year, that's one of them. You can do your preparation. You can be diligent. You can work hard. But giving you enough for a time that hasn't even arrived yet, that's his department. Just take that load off yourself of, I want to do it. You know, if I let Imogen do all the stuff she wanted to do, she'd end up sick, messy, malnourished. And we try to carry a load that God's trying to take off us. When we try to gather manna, he's told us not to gather. We're just building a prison for ourselves. And your life will end up rotten and smelling of maggots or whatever it is in the passage it says that happened to their manna. You know, you're loading up anxiety, exhaustion, treating the people that you love badly. This is what happens to us when we put a load on ourselves we were never meant to bear. Um, Where's the line? Where's the line between preparing well and being wise and loading up a burden that God's trying to take off you? Here's where I think the line is. Because you're all thinking the same thing, right? It's all very well for you to say that, but I have to save for a pension. If I don't work, I don't eat. Well, that's okay. That's in the Bible too. If they didn't boil or grind their manna, they didn't eat either. Um, here's the line for me: of us here in 21st century Cambridge, where's the line of preparation and heaping a load on, gathering manna when God says I shouldn't? It's when I try to carry something that I can't carry. That that's when I tip into heaping a load on my back. See, I can plan my finances. I can budget wisely. I can carry that load. I can sit down with my wife, work out what we value, do my bills. But there's a line. When I'm on my internet banking, she's watching the bake-off, and I'm cruising through my accounts, and there's this bizarre, comforting feeling that I have because I can see my manner. There it is stored up in front of me. I can move it from one account to another at the touch of a button and then back again. Just let it run through my fingers a little bit. I can make myself safe. Maybe I don't need God. A load, a load on my back. I can't carry that. I cannot insulate myself financially or in terms of security. No, that's God's department. I do my best. I prepare. I budget. That's God's department. Another one. Maybe this is you. I can do my very best at the things that are important to me, like this sermon. This is important to me. I'll plan, I'll be diligent, I'll research. I can carry that load. What are the things that are important to you? Family, work, hobbies, whatever. You can carry that load of doing your best. Let me tell you what you can't carry, the load of perfectionism. You can't carry that load. Because you know what perfectionism really is? It's an attempt to control what other people think of you. An attempt to control what other people think of you. If I can gather so much manna, make everybody think that I'm great, then I can control every outcome. Like perfectionism in your work, this is what everyone will think of me, and if, and if it slips, just one bit of what I do, the whole world tumbles down because I'm not in control anymore. You know, some people have this attitude with their appearance. It won't surprise you to know this is not something I struggle with. Perfectionism, it, but it struck me as I was walking through Cambridge a few months ago, Like some people won't go out unless they think they look perfect. Oh, the load, the load. You can't carry that load. You cannot control what people think about you. It's an illusion. Any more than the Israelites could control their provision by gathering a bit more and keeping it. It's just going to go rotten. You're just heaping up a load of maggots in your life right there. It's the line between caring about the things you care about and community and updating your Instagram accordingly and carefully curating an image of your life so you can control what other people think about you. Do you live that way? You're going to heap up a huge load on yourself. You're going to break yourself. So, what do you try to control that you cannot control? That is God's department. And you're saying, Lord, I'm going to take that on myself. Maybe if I gather enough, I won't need you anymore. What's breaking you tonight? And actually, when you think about it, you can't control that. That's not your department worry about tomorrow, something else. I'm going to finish um, with this. I want to get really practical. Um, how do you grow in trust? How do you grow in trust? You know, this is the challenge of last week's sermon by Becca and, and, and this as well. Same message is about how we trust. How do you grow in trust? You know, whether you're feeling really pretty self-sufficient right now, Or you're feeling on the edge of anxiety because you recognize exactly what I just read out of heaping up a load on yourself of something you can't control. Whichever you are, don't don't be put off. You don't have to be in a crisis to learn this. You want to trust God more. Pray, but don't just pray. Pray, but don't just pray. Look at the passage. God wants to create a spiritual change in his people. What does he say? Come before me and pray for an impartation of more of an abstract feeling of trust. He gives them tools, a Sabbath. This is going to help you learn trust in me. He says, only gather enough for the day. This is going to help you learn trust in me. If you don't want to carry the load that's on you right now, don't gather manna where he told you not to gather it. The practical change you make in your life, habits that are ingrained in your life will affect you spiritually. You know, if you want to change your load, you have to change your life. Two areas. I hope you can take away from one of these areas. Here are a couple of, uh, of examples of this. Time. If you just feel overstretched, overburdened, exhausted, Lord, I'm so exhausted right now. Give me, give me peace, give me energy. I'm stretched too thin, whatever it is. If you haven't taken a day off, per week. Remember the Sabbath? that The Lord, the first time in the Scriptures, He gives His people a Sabbath. If you haven't taken a day off, don't pray that. He's given you a key to the prison in front of you. Pick it up. He's given you a habit to make your mind realize that life and effectiveness does not revolve around how hard you work, because life and fruit from your work is more than that. You know, you're just gathering manner. He told you not to gather. If you're working every single day, you're checking your emails when your days off, the whole lot. Um, I thought about making a joke here that you can't presume it's mind over manner, but then I thought, oh, I've done it, it's too late. You know who are the worst people at this? Church workers. I've been in full time ministry nine years. The kingdom of God would collapse if I took a day off. Is the common the common attitude when I speak to people. You know? I could have had a day off last week, but this just got my attention. That got my attention. I see this all the time. I've I've been there. You know, when you find yourself breaking a command of God to try and do him a favor, you've got something the wrong way up. And you're gathering manna he told you not to gather, and a load is going on you. Like, you can't control the fruit from your ministry. Even if you're not in full-time ministry, if you just serve the Lord, you can't control the fruit from your ministry by working harder. Like, obeying him is going to do more for the fruit of your ministry than putting in an extra three or four hours. I'm getting off my soapbox now. Last area, money. Lord, I never feel I have enough. I get anxiety when I think about my accounts. I've got food and clothing, but nothing else it feels like. Give me joy in what I have. If you're praying that and you, are not, you haven't worked out your way of systematically giving to the Lord, we often call it tithing. I mean, it's giving 10% of your income. No one's checking what you give. Like, you do what it feels right in your heart to do before the Lord, but do it systematically, not just putting my hand in my pocket with what's left over at the end of the day. If you don't have a system of giving to the work of God, don't pray, Lord, take away my anxiety for how little I have or how I feel about it, because he's given you a key to unlock the prison already. He's given you a habit to get in your life so that in your mind, you don't believe that everything revolves around every single cent that you have, and there's room for the Lord in what you have or don't have. Do you, do, you see what I'm, do you see what I'm saying? The practical habits he gives them affects the spiritual. You know, like, tithing, giving to God, is not for God. He's quite well off, actually. He can provide for over a million people in the desert for 40 years. It's for you, for me. It's a habit to stop us building a prison, to stop us being institutionalized in our slavery to our self-sufficiency, to stop us from piling up a load on us. You know, like, we're not doing God a favor when we tithe. Like we're, we're helping ourselves realize that the, the world doesn't revolve around us and taking, we're taking this off our back when we do that. And we can't pray, God, take this off my back when we're not doing the things He asks us to do. Man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man. Man was not made for tithing, but tithing for man. It's a gift, it's a key. to not the prison. Romans 15, verse 13, and I finish with this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Do you want joy and peace tonight? With all joy and peace, as you come before him and pray that you'd be filled with an abstract feeling of joy and peace. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him with your lives. Let's pray. God, you give us practical habits to make us lie down in green pastures. And some of us are very burdened tonight, God. Some of us are loaded up and you're making us lie down. Lord, you offer us life. God, would you show us the areas? They may not be about time and money. Would you show us the areas where we're heaping up a load on ourselves that you never intended for us to do? God, where we're gathering manna where you told us not to gather. and We just bring you our burdens, Lord, where our life smells rotten right now, where we're hunched over with the burdens that we carry. To love you is to obey you. To obey you is to trust you. Thank you, God. Amen.